I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hi, this is Jake Shears, and you're listening to the Standard Theater Podcast. Welcome to the Standard Theater Podcast. I'm Nancy Doran. I'm Nick Clark. I'm Nick Curtis. Coming up on the show this week... We'll be reviewing Marcelo Dos Santos' new comedy, Backstairs Billy. That's starring Penelope Wilton as the Queen Mother and Luke Evans as her loyal servant, William Billy Tallon. And it's on at the Duke of York's Theatre in St Martin's Lane. And we'll be joined by actor, writer and director Susan Wakoma. Susan is the presenter of the 67th Evening Standard Theatre Awards. This is like the official London theatre Christmas party. Hello, welcome back to our theatre podcast. Before we start, make sure you're following this podcast. We release on every major podcast platform, Apple, Spotify, all that, on Sunday mornings. Get in touch. Our email address is theatrepod at standard.co.uk, which you'll also find in our show notes. If you're listening on the day of the podcast release, make sure you keep an eye out for an extra special episode releasing on Monday the 20th, our Evening Standard Theatre Awards special. This will be be recorded at Claridge's with all the highlights and some very exciting interviews. All right. So what's been going on in theatre news this week? Well, one of the co-hosts of the Evening Standard Theatre Awards, has got some early news out. He certainly has. This is uh, Ian McKellen, who is going to be playing Falstaff for Robert Icke, one of the most radical directors and reworkers Mm. of uh, of classics around. Uh, And this is going to be called Player Kings. It's an adaptation of Shakespeare's Henry plays. Henry IV, parts one and two. I believe so, yes. Um, Just those two, is it? Yeah. All right. Because Falstaff, that's his kind of big hitting roles isn't that's it? right and then he it's makes an appearance in Henry V in fact does he even make an appearance in in Branagh's film he's sort of shown dying I don't yes, even know I don't, yeah, think, yeah, I don't think that happens on stage no, in the actual yeah. he does thinking. Shakespeare he is of course in Merry Wives of Windsor as well but I'm imagining Robert Wyke is not going <laughs> to try and splice that one in as oh, uh, it's a rather different thing but this is I mean it's going to run at the Noel Coward Theatre in the West End I mean it's just an extraordinary thing as we well, say a radical director a reworking of Shakespeare but it's McKellen in his 85th year giving us his full stop I mean got to take your hat off to the man you really do I mean what a late you run really you know yeah. I mean Lear Hamlet Falstaff bloody hell and it'll be really interesting to see what Robert Icke does it with it as well because yeah. obviously his last Shakespeare was Hamlet which was so widely acclaimed Scott. with Andrew yes. Scott yeah, and that yeah. went into the West End as well I yeah, think absolutely. after the Almeida it's true I interviewed Robert Icke once and um, we were talking about reworking classics and he said it's a bit like a birthday you have a birthday every year but you know it changes you have to update it every year you know you don't have the same birthday every year and I said well you clearly didn't meet my mother-in-law <laughs> who didn't age after the age of 38 so. oh. I just wanted to read one of the lines from the press release here which described what the play is going to be looking oh, yeah. at and obviously has no parallels with today because uh, it says it's a divided country leadership crumbling corruption in the air welcome to England I must say I thought I mean Robert Icke's Oresteia was one of my favourite ever oh, theatre experiences agree. 
years, actually. into my top ten Absolutely, ever. was just like, just sat there through the whole thing with my gob open. I thought it was so, <laughs> yeah. so, so good. Really remarkable. I absolutely agree. And also seeing McKellen as full staff, uh, the late and much missed Michael Gambon, he mm. played it at the National Theatre and that performance is absolutely seared into my brain, opposite Matthew McFadgen, mm. in what I thought was just wonderful, wonderful performances. So it's really going to be exciting looking to see what I Ian think McKellen I missed that one I think the last one I saw or that I really remember was Anthony Sher actually doing yes. it at the Barbican which was yes. extremely long I miss but, Gambon um, somehow and I also miss Robert Stevens who famously did it towards the end of his life you know and it was a great late again sort of late flowering yeah, yeah. of this great talent which was seen to have been sort of slightly squandered over the years right. know, by his problems with booze and stuff and it was pretty much the last major role he, you know he came back to the theatre to do it and it was uh, you know it was a massive deal God knows how I managed to miss that one but <laughs> make, but make sure I catch this one I think hadn't I really yeah exactly yeah the other transfer news is um, Cowboys or the other new mm. new production news is Cowboys OIS at the end rather than IES coming in from uh, the yeah, RSC yeah a bit like Skater Stratford. Boy yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, coming to the Royal Court that's an interesting tie yeah. Royal Shakespeare Company transferring to the Royal Court it makes sense I guess this is, is that is that something the outgoing artistic director will have done do you think or is that um, I presume so yeah I would have thought so. and ah. they seem to be pro programming in a number of transfers because we've got two shows transferring from the Edinburgh Festival in, right. in uh, December mm. to the Royal Court as well. Oh, I wonder why. I wonder if that's a sort of like something to do, well I, either it's a new thing that they think is a good idea or maybe it's something to do with like, I don't know, a sort of drop off of work that hasn't been able to finish being developed Could and stuff be like that. Anyway, might, I think it's quite interesting. I think so too and it might just be a sort of interregnum period before the mm. new artistic director yeah, comes yeah. in that you, you sort of fill up your remaining months with uh, you know interesting work yeah. that chimes with the theatre's ethos. And it's Charlie Josephine as well, isn't it, who wrote I, Joan yes, at the right. Globe, which actually everybody really loved after yeah. getting a bit cross about it. Um, so I think, yeah, I'm really yeah. looking forward to that. Actually. It's yeah. also, uh, when it played at the RSC, I saw from X, formerly Twitter, that um, Daniel Evans, the new co-artistic director of the RSC, had to go on one night as a gay cowboy because... Oh, <laughs> wow. really? Yeah, well, down if, a, a if you need anyone well, to go on. Been, he has <laughs> been, yeah, exactly, because yeah. he was an actor. Wasn't well, he? and I he think he still out. is sometimes. Or, you know, yes, I mean, um, he's a busy man. He's a very busy yeah, man. Yeah, he did um, Sunday in the Park with George, mm. I seem to remember and won I think yeah. many awards yeah well it's a bit like having uh, you know writing for editors who know how to write it's actually quite reassuring I imagine <laughs> if you're an actor going on for a director <laughs> yeah. who knows how to act I think that's I hope that's your experience it is my experience absolutely <laughs> yes all kudos to the pair of you One thing I also wanted to talk about, uh, which is actually happening in the future for us recording now, but will have happened in the past by the time you listen to this, is the arrival of West End Woofs. Now, you may not know what this is, but apparently it is the uh, London version of Broadway Barks. And uh, oh, okay. our friend of the pod, Bernadette Peters, is teaming up with the legendary Elaine Page to host a sort of animal adoption event at uh, the St. Paul's Actors Church in Covent Garden where I think they're going to sing a few songs, but essentially they're trying to match up some shelter animals with some new owners. Aww. So <laughs> it's something we can all get behind, it's I sort think. Of is. And well, West End Wolf's not some sort of follow-up to cats or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, uh, God, sorry, no. I didn't do the full title, West End Wolf's and Meows. Uh-huh. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> But it also put me in thought of um, animals on stage, which I know yeah, yeah. is very relevant to what we're talking about. In a this, bit. In a bit. Yeah. In a bit. Yes. But, you know, this is something that periodically comes back and always 
sends the audience completely gaga. Oh, my God. They lose their minds mm. every time. And so our producer, Rachel, put on Facebook people's memories of their favorite memories of animals on stage. We did get a few responses. There was uh, the bunny and the goose from the ferryman, which I certainly remember the goose. Oh, yes. Did in someone that. come in with it, like, tucked under, under their, their arm? Yes. yes, I thought yes. so. And everyone was like, oh, the whole audience kind of goes, like, oh, it's a real goose. It's a real goose. <laughs> 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 really funny. Someone pointed to Bullseye the, the Dog in Oliver. Yeah, I think that happens quite a lot, because I remember mm. I was reading, I was looking for that this morning because I couldn't work out which production it was, but I think it might occur fairly often. But there was a great headline in um, the Buxton Advertiser about a sort of, you know when you get like, you know, local man does and it's always like someone incredibly famous. This was sort of local dog appears in production or such and such. And it was just somebody's like terrier or something. I loved it. Fantastic. I went through the archives just to find out because I couldn't remember all the animals. The one that really leapt out to me was in the audience with Helen Mirren when the corgis. Yeah. run across the stage and again the, the, that night the audience went the actual audience went absolutely crackers for the for the dogs apparently barking. one got fired barking, barking. barking. The dogs, yeah. but what, apparently one of the corgis got fired on, on uh, press night or, or sorry in dress rehearsal when it um, relieved itself in front of Helen Mirren as the queen and was oh, well, swiftly there's, there's removed there's so much to say about that in our actual review there well, is but, indeed yeah, they put about 12 dogs on the stage of Chitty Chitty Bang Bang they invent toot sweets which are uh, accidentally noise making sweets which have oh, a sort and of dog whistle so about ah. 20 dogs raced across the stage in that so I mean that was that had the audience absolutely in paroxysms because it had a flying car as well oh know. my god well the ones that I was most surprised about there has been examples of not one but two goats in the theatre so there was a play at the Royal Court called Goats recently right. and that had a whole herd yes. in and apparently and I did not know this so Rose Tattoo with Zoe Warnermaker in 2007 had Bruce the Goat in a starring role so Oh, yeah, Bruce! Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's gone. On, he's gone on to Hollywood, so you probably haven't seen. Him I, recently. Saw, I saw that rose tattoo. I think I don't remember Bruce the Ghost at all. But, you know, do you think... remember the duck in Wild Duck? Another Robert Ike. Yes, performance? I do remember that duck. Yes, that's true. Yes, that's true. I mean, it's it's a you're really it's a hostage to fortune, isn't it? Bring, yeah, bring boy, you. Is it? Well, can I tell you why it's a hostage to fortune? I'm going to round out this segment with one of my favourite stories about animals on stage. So the stage newspaper compiles a um, feature on show reports every year, which listeners may not know, but after every performance, the stage manager compiles what went wrong in a performance. Mm. And they're always written very dryly, and there's often quite amusing things that went wrong. But in the uh, recent production of Julie at the National Theatre, starring Vanessa Kirby, there was a budgie, actor's name, Gordon the Budgie, who appeared, and I just wanted to go through. There is apparently a running theme with Gordon the Budgie, where... Uh, June 21st night, Gordon the Budgie was rather vocal post-death this evening. Uh, June his, 20th, own, his own death? No, oh, no, big, no, the death of the title character. I see, I see. June 22nd night, Gordon the Budgie was again tweeting throughout Julie's suicide. June 23rd matinee, Gordon the Budgie was treated to his favourite bird seed in his cage this afternoon and as a re- result was silent to be monitored. June 23rd night... Gordon was tweeting again during Julie's suicide. Yeah, he never worked again after this, did he? <laughs> <laughs> well, June 25th night... Gordon was replaced with a fake budget this evening. (laughs) Sadly, that was the last we heard of Gordon. That is terrible. Um, And continuing with animals on stage, I think we should get into our latest review. Yep. Backstairs Billy at the Duke of York's Theatre. Yes. Right, so both of you saw this, and my question to you, Nancy, was this Luke Evans or Luke L? Oh, God. (laughs) Um, well, I mean, it was. Mm, I'm thrown by your <laughs> awful joke, but it was, it was, it was, it was, it was fun, you know. It was really 
really fun. Um, I enjoyed it thoroughly. I think it's really well written in dialogue terms. I absolutely think it's worth seeing entirely for the joy of Penelope Wilton. Mm, I don't to a point. entirely see the point. No, we should tell people this is about the relationship between yeah. the Queen Mother and her long-term uh, trusted servant and sort of wingman, really. Backstairs Billy Talon, as he was known because he was the page of the Backstairs, which is your actual job title. I think he had various other job titles as well. Not some horrendous euphemism. No, quite. Um, <laughs> although that too... I think is the, is the implication. He was a sort of staple of the private eye royal diary columns for years and I think sort of continues to exert an influence over their sort of fantasy writings about the royal family. But the, the basic premise of the play is that after her husband died, depriving her of her status, she suddenly mm. she loses her house and she loses all her influence to her young daughter on the death of her husband is forced to move into Clarence's house where she is greeted by this 15-year-old boy who has wanted to work in the royal household his entire life. And there's a sense that they sort of mould each other into, into what the other one needs to get through the endless thudding repetition of royal protocol and these endless ribbon cuttings and tea parties and things like that. He's a ferociously camp, working-class gay man. She is a woman who has never known anything other than a life of supreme privilege. Um, she's very tolerant up to a point of his of his sort of indiscretions and misdemeanors. He brings a lot of sort of rough trade back to the palace at night. Yeah, I mean, that's that's it really, isn't it? That's, that is it. Yeah. That's the thing. That's it. I mean, it, it's got a little storyline within itself, which is entire, as far as I'm aware, entirely fantastic. To see, although who knows and it's jolly and it doesn't really I don't really feel like it tells you a great deal I don't know I just didn't I was just a bit like I, I don't really understand why I watched that but I really yeah. enjoyed it I spent the first half really entertained thinking this is frothy and quite sort of old fashioned you can Very. imagine this being done in the 1950s although you know you wouldn't have got away with the sort of you know raunch and no, uh, yeah, probably even the anti-royalism then or you know the, yeah. the hints uh, that yeah, the royals yeah, are exactly. not uh, entirely worth their money so the first half as you say is very entertaining and the second half just sort of dissipates into this slightly strange other thing you know, it's where also it, a kind of mad farce as well isn't yeah. it, in the second half yeah. it's sort of like it really descends there's a bit of mad something. fast there's a bit of theatre of the absurd as well at one mm. point when Billy has taken a sort of rung or two down by the Queen Mother yes. is basically literally brought to heel uh, yes. in the manner of a corgi by Penelope Wilson's Queen Mother which doesn't it strikes a very clanging it's a very odd it. moment involving a dog turd yeah. it's yeah. very very strange there's also some really actually I thought quite nasty sort of 1970s style sort of sitcom stuff that um, the, one of the men that Billy brings back is a black artist mm. um, who he then tries to pass off as a as, as an African yeah, prince. As a prince of and there's a lot of sort of double taking of you know the, the the more senior servants and the other guests at this dinner party at this young black man in in sort mm. of flared jeans and a half unbuttoned shirt, and he's putting on this sort of ridiculous accent trying to pass himself off as an African prince. It's like, a bit like watching Mind Your Language or Love Thy Neighbor or one of those really mm. dodgy sitcoms from the seventies, and I I felt very uncomfortable with it I have to mm. say with that moment because it, it's played absolutely for laughs that, that bit I mean mm. it, the whole thing is played for laughs it is it is a light comedy with just some very strange notes in it it's and a you, real two glasses of house white kind of play <laughs> <laughs> actually is how I would possibly three yeah yeah. yeah. I mean I'm talking large glasses yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, although a, again you we afford those in the West End <laughs> <laughs> I think I got a drink spot yeah. <laughs> um, it's just really bonkers there's a moment what you might describe as Chekhov's cock it's sort of like like, yes. There's a hand. There's a phallus 
that appears that can only reappear yes. and kind of you know cause havoc, which is sort of like it just. I was just like, I was just waiting for the whole of the you know second part. Like, when is this going to? Chekhov's commentary. That happen? was exactly the kind of thing I wanted to write in my review. <laughs> <laughs> you just couldn't. Uh, yeah, good one. Chekhov wanted to write as well. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. But yeah, no, you're absolutely right, Nancy. It, um, it it's. It's improbably introduced and then it's lost and you just know it's going to rematerialize in yeah. the hands of Penelope Walton. She's going to go, oh, goodness me, what on earth is this? Yeah, exactly. Um, I liked Luke Evans in this. Yeah, I loved his physical presence. He, he has this uh, very early on. He's teaching a junior footman to act as if he has a string from the top of his head, which is pulling him upright. And actually his carriage is, is sort of ramrod straight and wonderful mm. through this. He looks remarkably like Fergal Sharkey in this, particularly yeah, with this swept back mm. mane of black hair. He's a tremendously sort of bitchy queen in this. Um, and there are, there, there's a famous old joke that once the Queen Mother was observing Billy fighting with another footman. They use this line in here when, when she says, if you do, old queens are finished, this old queen would like a drink. Um, <laughs> and there's lots of gags about that, about, you know, too many queens in this household. He's a bona fide Hollywood star. I mean, he's been in yeah. the Fast, yeah, yeah. Fast and Furious movies. He's massive Apple TV show. Mm. I mean, does he have that stage presence as well to transfer I think from he, the I think he the... does. Yeah. I mean, I actually preferred his performance to Penelope Wilton because I thought the night I saw it, she was slightly off her words. Mm-hmm. That's not, true, actually. She was very slightly, but I sort of thought that might... Not helped by the fact that she had no. to actually manhandle a recalcitrant corgi at one point. Okay, so let's talk about the corgis, shall yeah. we? They kind of like, race on at one point, and then they race on the other way, and then... But then there's another one right at the end, as you say, that she has to literally, like... Like just sort of clutch this wrestle. fat dog yes. and wrestle it onto a sofa, basically, as if this is perfectly normal and, yeah. and she's not struggling at all. Whereas, in fact, at any moment, you just think she's going to drop that dog. Yeah, and at one point, the Queen Mother uh, sort of leads the dog off and shunts it out of a side door. And I wonder whether that was scripted or whether they built that in as an escape route. Yeah, during exactly, as a Previews, you know, that, that if the dog was acting up, then it, like the budgie in, in yeah. uh, Julie. <laughs> yes, exactly. But I just think the thing about having dogs like like animals like that really integral to a moment and it's it's oddly it's a kind of it's a moment that could be quite poignant and she's meant to be quite steely mm. and she's wrestling this ridiculous dog it's so distracting you're either thinking oh that dog's well behaved or you're thinking that dog's going to bolt any second and you're not really listening to a kind of crucial exchange in the whole play and it just sort of felt like a bit of a like it just felt like a bum yeah. decision and having them run across at the beginning it's such an easy <laughs> way of getting the audience going oh yeah you exactly. know it's it's a very cheap trick i think you know, well, that was exactly what they exactly what they did in the audience yes yeah, yeah exactly yeah. i don't yeah. know it was maybe, fun it was fun i don't know why it's on in the west end but it was fun maybe i'm being a bit uh a bit unfair to Penelope wilton i mean it is an enjoyable performance of this wonderful sort of detached floaty you know no real connection to reality whatsoever or understanding how other people's lives are lived there are some quite nice other performances from uh, michael simpkins and a couple of female actors as, yes. as guests at these tea parties uh, one of which Billy feeds two teetotalers almost the entire of a bottle of vodka so yes. <laughs> covered up with a bit of cordial. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's okay. You know, it's, yeah. it's, it is this weirdly old-fashioned, frothy entertainment, as we said. Obviously, Marcelo Dos Santos is the man of the moment. He's mm. uh, got a play coming on at, at the, the Bush, Bush Theatre. Yeah. will have opened by the time that this podcast drops. I don't really see what Michael Grandage, who directed uh, Backstairs Billy, saw in it. 
you know, why he chose mm. that as his latest West End project. I don't know. It's an odd one, isn't it? It well, is. The yeah. week the crown comes out, maybe they'll get a bit of trade. Yeah. Well, I mean, to be honest, they'll probably get a bit of trade anyway. I mean, mm. Penelope Wilson, Dick yeah. Evans, I mean, yeah. they've got their own audiences and, you know, the royals. Mm. I think yeah. it's just... I mean, Dear old Queen Mum, as they say, although backstairs yeah. Billy abs- abhors the term Queen Mum, you know, yes, he feels exactly. it doesn't give her a proper gravitas and auteur. Yeah, you know. It's well, fun. It's mm, fine. It's a yeah, nice night fun, out. Fine. Moving on. Very funny. <laughs> Very funny. I Very think. funny. Very yeah. funny. Yeah, it is laugh out loud. Well, if you want to go and see that, it's on at the Duke of York's Theatre to January the 27th. Let's go to the ads. In part two, we'll be talking to this year's Evening Standard Theatre Awards presenter, Susan Wacoma. Make sure to hit follow in the meantime. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hi, I'm Danny Mays and you're listening to the Evening Standard Theatre Podcast. Welcome back to the Evening Standard Theatre Podcast. This is a massive week for us with the Evening Standard Theatre Awards. So the other day we were joined by the presenter for the night, the actor, director and writer, Susan Wacoma. Susan, hi. Hello. How are you feeling about hosting the awards this year? I imagine you're feeling pretty confident. Yeah, I mean, theatre is home. So I like to think that, you know, it's not something scary like the Brit Awards where I have no kind of relationship to music or anything like that. So that's what I've been telling myself. This is home. This is everything that I've been doing since I was a kid and it's going to be absolutely foolproof. It's happening on a Sunday night which means brilliantly everyone in the West End can make it. Exactly I mean and I I, the way that I'm approaching it is that this is like the official London theatre Christmas party that's kind of the vibe that I'm going to be bringing to it and yeah it's a busy time of year with all these kind of awards and and get-togethers and I've always whenever I speak to people who are not in the industry and they sort of go oh god all these lovely, lovely things that you do. And like, you have Christmas parties. Like, for us, it's the celebration of our work. And, you know, it's not easy putting on theatre, especially in the last few years. So we're going to celebrate. It's going to be a great night. Um, You've had a really varied career. You've written and you've acted, you've stage and screen and everything. Like, how would you define yourself these days? It's been weird, my career, to be completely honest with you. I mean, I I knew that I wanted to write and direct. I said to myself that I would... Uh, act because I started when I was a teenager but I would start um, directing and uh, going into writing at the age of 30. I don't know why I picked 30 I just thought a new decade but I'm also somebody who's I'm too curious for my own good so when podcasts started and you know I had the opportunity to start 
co-hosting the Guilty Feminist podcast, which is primarily a comedy podcast with Deborah Francis White. So we started that. And that wasn't because I was going, oh, I'm going to do this maneuver into, you know, being a comedian or hosting. It was just sort of what happened. And then when people think that you're half decent at something, they give you a ring. If it's interesting, if it's fun, primarily, if it's going to be something that is going to create joy as opposed to anything else, then I'm normally going to say yes if I'm free. People will know you mostly for your acting work, but this year you're moving into directing, aren't you? Yes, moving into directing. So for the last four or five years, I've been developing a film called Three Weeks, which is a comedy drama looking at abortion and the question of becoming a parent, which is something that a lot of my friends have had to face because think the reasons why people choose to become parents or not are quite different it can just mainly be where would I put the kid can't afford a place to live so I really wanted to explore that and um I wanted to make I've done a lot of television work but film had always and um, when I'd started developing this film it's always been quite elusive so I didn't know how film was made yeah, yeah. television was made because you know you just ask the people who make it um, and so I went on this quest, which was kind of via BAFTA, actually. They have this scheme called BAFTA Breakthrough, which I got chosen for in 2017. And the sole purpose of that was to be put in touch with producers and execs and just sit there with a notepad and go, how do you make film? I don't know anything. Talk to me like I'm not in the industry. And so it was from there that I, um, yeah, I started developing this film. And then the notion of me directing it came later as well. So it's all just been a really, really wonderful experience. And yeah. I finally get to do it next time. So are you taking a back seat from acting? Do you get more creative control uh, as a director or writer than as an actor? I think it's a, I mean, I don't think I'll ever stop acting um in fact i've had i worked with one director sarah sugarman who was an actress and she took me to one side um and said don't stop acting I feel like you're going to wear this happy you're going to miss the other one if you can do both and i love the kind of relinquishing to story and to the team that you have with with acting it's really lovely especially if you're going from one situation where you're making a lot of decisions i'm very much a team member so as much as I can, I love trying to sort of encompass the two. But there is a degree of creative control and vision and kind of practicality with directing that I really love. Bringing people together who believe in one story, and they all leave their homes to work on this thing. Is, um, I find it moving constantly when people just sort of sit around going, OK, here's your idea. This is one way that we could do it. And here's another way. It's unbelievably moving yeah I trust myself with that position of power and I think there's been a lot of conversations about who we trust with power and control for me it's not about power it's just about knowing somebody who is going to put all the right things first which is everyone's well-being and story and you've been on Taskmaster um, again I got asked I know a lot of comedians and they all talk about how wonderful that process is and even in a much deeper level, like a couple of series ago, we had Fern Brady. That was kind of the first time that she was allowed to have her autism really on show. And she's talked about the experience and how it's been absolutely life-changing for her. Um, and I just wanted to know what it's like to walk into a room and have no idea what's going to happen next. And I've had one experience of that, which was the play um, An Oak Tree that I took part in years ago. And I loved it. And also I did Dear Elizabeth that was on at the Gate Theatre. You turn up, you've got no real idea what's going to happen. I loved both those experiences. And Taskmaster is basically that, yeah. And you live in Peckham, don't you? Not far from me. Tell us what's great about South London. I mean, firstly, the amount of green spaces. There's not, I've, now I've lived all over London. I've lived, well, 
I haven't lived in East London, <clears throat> but I've lived in West London and I've lived in North London. And the amount of green spaces in South, I love. And I really missed that. I love the sense of community. I didn't feel it as much in other parts of London. No offence, but it's true. I know all my neighbours, which was one of the things when I was looking for somewhere to own, which I can't even believe that that's happened. But I just went, I want to live somewhere where I know my neighbours. Where if there's a problem, I can go to them or they can come to me. So that's what I really love. And also, like, the music scene in South London is fantastic. But also as well, I think for me, it's it's about, um, I know so many people who, they move because they have, it's what they can afford. And for me, being in South London is about that familiarity, which is something that I think is really kind of, it's so important to me. And I think after lockdown, I was like, I wanted to walk around and know the place and know the history and have like memories affiliated to places rather than I just live somewhere, which is the case with a lot of millennials. I'm very, very lucky that um, I haven't been ousted from South East London. Susan, thank you so much for joining us on the Standard Theatre podcast. We'll see you in person at the Evening Standard Theatre Awards. See you there. And that's this week's episode of the Standard Theatre Podcast. It's a shorty this time because tomorrow we'll be bringing you the highlights of the 67th Evening Standard Theatre Awards in our first special episode. Check out all our other episodes below, which include guests such as Leah Salonga, Bernadette Peters, Ian McKellen, Joseph Fiennes, Millie Alcock and many, many more. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so you never miss us. And remember, you can drop us a line at theatrepod at standard.co.uk. Our next episode is our Theatre Awards special. See you then. Thanks to our producer, Rachel Abbott.